epic history. Like the Greeks are like on the beach, they're like doing burpees or something. <laughs> the Persians sail up, and they've got like they've got like little spears and pomegranates and stuff, and they're like, "Hey, want to be part of our cool empire?" In-depth commentary, cutting-edge expert, drunken analysis. <laughs> two people that you don't know anything about. It's ad hoc history with Asher and Luxa, siblings extraordinaire. Hey, just real quick, like if you were emperor, would you choose me as second emperor? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Learning. It's not pretty. It's not nice. And if you want to talk about justification for war and all these things, but when you get to how the sausage is actually made, this is it. It's ad hoc history. It's not the history podcast you wanted. It's the history podcast you deserve. XV Planus is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. In 1993, a young couple expecting their first child moved into a quaint, affordable two-story home at 508 North 2nd Street in Atchison, Kansas. They were hopeful and happy to have more room for their growing family. Things were perfect. For a while. Little did they know that they were about to become the centerpiece in one of the most consistently active and consistently studied pieces of paranormal phenomenon ever reported. Strange occurrences began to plague the young family. It started with phantom sounds and smells, the smell of death and scratching on the walls late at night. Several apparitions manifested to terrorize the family. A little girl who looked lost, an old woman in 1800s garb with a penchant for big black birds, a rotting body hunched over on all fours with one eye, tongue hanging out of its jaw and maggots crawling in and out of its decaying flesh. Fires would break out at random, including on the husband of the house, who was constantly harassed physically. Mysterious welts and scratches would appear on his skin. He was bitten. He was pinched. And at one point, which served as the last straw, was almost pushed over the railing of the second floor in what seemed to be a more direct attempt on his life. Eventually, they reached out for help, and they found it through the lens of a television show from the early 1990s, Sightings. That couple was Tony and Deborah Pickman, and that house eventually came to be known as the Sally House, one of the most consistently active paranormal melting pots ever observed. And while tonight we will speak of their experience, This series is not about their story. It's about ours. Or maybe it's about the house. No. House implies home. Sanctuary. Safety. That. Thing. Welcome to XV Planets. Greetings, friends, fiends, and lovers of strange and wondrous things. Welcome back to XV Planis. Transmitting from inside the Black Lodge, as always, I am your host, Flood, and as always, I am very happy to be here with you, and welcome to the premiere of Season 2. Yes, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, I hope your week is going well. Drop me a line on Instagram or Twitter at XVPlanis or at Folds and Floods and tell me of anything weird or wonderful that has happened to you this week. So, speaking of Season 2, that will come in four installments, each consisting of three to five chapters focusing on the histories, mysteries, and the synchronicities guiding us to the specific locations that the XVPlanis field team has had the opportunity to investigate and explore firsthand. Because we all work full-time jobs and have lives, these projects tend to take a while, but we have a lot of regulars coming onto the roster soon and a whole lot of content to drop along the way, so stay tuned. I have a few other updates to make, but we'll take care of those towards the end of tonight's show, because let's face it, 
We've waited long enough. Or to be fair, I have been hinting at this for way too long. But hey, here it is. We're finally doing the Sally House. Finally! Now, before we go catapulting into the void, I want to explain how this series is going to go, as it is a multi-parter with a considerable amount of related bonus content coming along with it at some point. I'm not sure yet, but this could end up being six parts if you include some of the extra episodes that will be available, but we'll just have to see how deep the rabbit hole goes. And I need to let you know now that things do get a little darker as it moves forward. This series has been a big undertaking for me personally. I do everything here from research, recording, editing, and scoring, and everything else, as well as being the primary organizer for the investigations and the trips that we do. So I'm going to give myself a solid break here when approaching this series in particular, in the sense that it will be released on a bi-weekly schedule so that I can have enough time to work on the engineering aspect and not feel rushed, giving me a better chance to deliver a more even listening experience for you. There will likely be a few surprise episodes popping up on a few of the off weeks, like another episode of Twin Geeks, a couple of interviews, and a nugget or two of extras relevant to the current series. But until it wraps, this Sally House series will be bi-weekly. And I appreciate all of you for your patience, and I promise it'll be worth it. So the way this series is going to be set up is tonight on part one, Alejandro will be joining me in the studio to briefly recap the history of the house. Now when I say briefly, we're going to hit the major notes, but the story of the Sally House is a long and winding one, as is the history of Atchison, Kansas itself. But along the way, if you want to do the deeper dive into it all, we'll tell you where to go. We're going to offer a relaxed, condensed version of some of the main information you need to know before going into our investigation of one of the most consistently active paranormal hotspots ever known, which is what this project is all about. The experience. On part two, I'm going to tell you the tale of high strangeness that led me to the front door of 508 North 2nd Street, what happened to me within its walls, and what is still happening to me now. Parts three and four will be collages of conversations from all of the absolutely amazing people who joined me for the journey. Walker and Alejandro, Jill and Trish, as well as a three-month follow-up that we will be recording this Sunday, the night right before we go to Waverly Hills Sanatorium. That's right, friends. By the time my voice is filling your cranium, we will be on our way to Waverly Hills for an overnight investigation and a few Louisville side quests. And uh, Walker, Alejandro, Jill, and myself will be recording our group follow-up roundtable on the road. I can't wait. But back to the subject at hand. Part 5 will be an open conversation on theories about what's really happening there with some special guests that I'll announce a little later. And there might be an intermission episode where I'll be sharing something kind of like what I did with the Brown Mountain addendum when we shared the uh, Estes session. And that one, my friends, is going to be a doozy. And we will also have accompanying video to boot. And that's it. Now that all of that is out of the way, let's get Alejandro in on this and let's... Let's talk a little bit about the history. Alejandro, welcome back to the Black Lodge, my friend. Thank you, thank you. It's good to have you back. How you been? It's good to be here. I've been well. Thank you very much. I've got some stuff in the works, and I'm excited for this whole next phase of... Uh, XP Planus and uh, our, my own personal projects and all of that. So. Hey, well, th- tell me a little bit about that. You, you said you had some projects coming down the pipeline. What yeah, you got? yeah, I've kind of mentioned and hinted at them in the <clears throat> in the past. Uh, so, uh, my lovely wife Candace and I, we are very close to launching our uh, Etsy shop and our website, and that's the uh, Leftover Stardust. That's uh, the name of our. Uh, our combined store between the two of us, we're going to have a lot of cool stuff, going to be offering readings, um, some different uh, crafts and uh, things like that of that nature um, that we're going to be listing, um, some custom stuff, all some really some really cool things in store for sure. I've already got a, a few projects that are in the works or finished that we're going to have up, but um, that'll be here in the next uh, couple weeks. Right on, man. Mm-hmm. So that's leftover Stardust. We're going to have an Instagram. Well, we have an Instagram. There's nothing there yet. But the Instagram is going to be at we are leftover Stardust. 
And then on Etsy, it's going to be leftover Stardust Shop. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, you can guarantee that those will be in the show notes as soon as you uh, you drop the addresses. Uh, I'll certainly get it out there for you. Um, thank you, thank you. Please do support my friend Alejandro here if you're into what he does. It's it's pretty cool stuff. Now, um, you are here today with me to start barreling through this. I say five parts, but let's be honest and say I just don't know how long this is going to go for. Uh, series. On the Sally House. And this is important to us because we went there firsthand and saw it ourselves. Yeah. And we definitely want to share that story with you. But I found it kind of important to at least take this first episode to uh, do kind of a, a light gloss over of the basic history so that uh, our listeners can have like a frame of reference, at least for what we're talking about. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I will... I'm guaranteed to say this at least five or six times throughout the course of the series. If you really want the deep dive history into this stuff, and I mean like no nonsense, real research work put into it, go check out the Astonishing Legends four-part series on the Sally House. It'll it'll melt your brain. And they go so much further into the detail than we're going to go into here. We're going to offer a little bit of it, but as you all know, this podcast was never meant to be like a... A historical monologue. This is all kind of based off of documentarian uh, approach to actually going to said paranormal locations and experiencing them ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely go check out them if you want to get the history. We're going to give you some of the basics here uh, so that you can understand the the winding road that is the story of the Sally House hauntings. And there's a lot to it. But I think first we should probably start with the and I'm using air quotes, legend of uh, Sally. So the way this story goes, and this is coming directly from the uh, the website visit, uh, visitatchison.com, and I will have that in the show notes for you, as well as the extension to the Sally House page. Originally built in the turn of the century, this house became the residence of an Atchison physician. The front served as office space and examination rooms while the doctor and family lived upstairs. One day, a frantic mother arrived carrying her six-year-old daughter, Sally. The child had collapsed from severe abdominal pain. The doctor diagnosed appendicitis and knew that there was no time to delay the surgery. Believing the appendix would soon burst, the doctor began cutting Sally before the anesthesia took full effect. Sally's screams suddenly stopped and she grew pale and limp. She died on the operating table, her last memories of a man whom she believed was torturing her. Now... While that story certainly lays the groundwork for a classic haunted house, uh, after extensive research, we can find no proof of a little girl named Sally dying there. So I guess now the point is to kind of take a look at the things that we can verify, like the reality of the situation. Not to say that there aren't some potential nuggets of truth in that story. Uh, and I'll I'll get to that a little bit later. But thus far, we've seen no actual proof that anyone named Sally has ever died in that house. Yes, we do have a body count. We will get into that here shortly. What are your thoughts on that? On the 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 legend of it, if you will. The every story has its grains of truth and its fluff, you know. So it's it's a uh, always an interesting mix when it comes to you know paranormal locations and all of that. Um, because there's uh, it's such an old uh, dwelling, you know. There's definitely going to have been folks that have died there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the you know finding out the names and the dates of the people that actually passed in that house, uh, you know, that kind of solid evidence, you know, it's it's gonna be there if it's there, and it's you know having not found any record of a girl named Sally dying there, you know, that's right. that's one of those things that you know the. The grain of truth, that's not one of those grains. Correct. Yeah. And uh, not to say that there, there, there is kind of like a weird, weird, like roundabout connection to someone named Sally, but mm. it is definitely not a little girl. Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that here in a little bit. Anyway, let's, um, before we go barreling into um, the Sally house itself. Uh, let's take a moment to talk about the actual history of Atchison. And again, total gloss over. If you really want meat and potatoes, either go and do your research, because I'm making the disclaimer here. We are not historians, and we are not professional researchers. So spare me, please. 
<laughs> so Atchison, Kansas was founded in 1854 and named so in honor of Missouri Senator David Rice Atchison. A small, quaint town in Kansas, just north of Kansas City and right on the Missouri-Kansas state line, Atchison has a lot of history. Birthplace of Amelia Earhart, home of Benedictine College, and one of the most haunted cities in the country, if not the world, which is why we are here. <laughs> but why is it considered to be so haunted, and what it is about this small, nearly hidden town that makes it so active? After doing some research... There's there's a lot of turmoil on this land, uh, and I believe the guys from uh, Legends pointed this out that there there was a lot of disturbing disturbances of uh, Native American burial grounds. Uh, you had the Civil War there uh, happening right there, so there was. I'm not sure if any actual wars or anything happened around there, but it was still like a hub for many militias during the time of the Civil War. So you had a lot of people filing in and out, probably not in the best of health. You know. And then there's the obvious things when it comes to paranormal lore. You have tons of railroads. You have the river. You have limestone for days, which kind of like leads back into the whole uh, stone tape theory. Which is definitely not the same as a stoned ape theory. Which, no, it's uh, definitely not a stoned ape. <laughs> that's not connected here, but definitely <laughs> a, another interesting theory for sure. Wait, wait. So now you're going to have to explain to me stoned Stoned ape theory. Oh my goodness. So that opens a whole uh, can of psychedelic worms leading to uh, Terrence McKenna and his stoned ape theory that... Yes. Okay, that is definitely conversation yes. for another time. Exactly. That's not connected here, but that's a great topic of discussion. Oh, we, we can. There is definitely an episode coming on oh, McKenna sure. sometime. I, I certainly future. hope so. Looking forward to that. Absolutely. What a... Uh, what, a what a gem, man. Like Terrence McKenna was... Oh, God. Yeah. yeah, fascinating, and absolutely not just because of the drugs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> absolutely. So anyway, uh, aside from that, you also have uh, like during its earlier um, days, Atchison was kind of like a, a trade town, a port town. Uh, Missouri River uh, was being offloaded trades and goods there and transported back and forth. Mm -hmm. um, whenever the burst of the railroad industry came out atchison tried to position itself as being like one of those central hubs passing from the east to the west and it, it just it just kind of fell short mm -hmm. compared to like kansas city and and other larger booming industry towns uh, atchison is also home to benedictine college which uh let's let's talk about how really haunted this freaking town is because yeah. it's not just a sally house mm. it is we talked about this before when we brought this up like back in uh october like mm. you throw a stone you hit something on it yeah it seems to be at least after the research that i've done in the last few weeks um man that whole row of houses sally house and the both on each side have mm. a lot of stories to tell and then right across the street from it you get the glick mansion which unfortunately apparently is now permanently closed really i'm really disappointed about that because i wanted to go check it out maybe they're just taking a break because of the pandemic or doing some renovations but yeah i looked it up today and mm. nothing Dang. um pretty much every other restaurant and bar in town is haunted if you ask the locals and then there's the 1889 McIntyre Villa, which that one I don't know too much about. But ever since I started mentioning that we were going to be making the trip to the Sally House, people were just ranting and raving about this place. So I guess we got to go back. Oh, darn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, the... Most famous and well-known of all of these hauntings is the reason why we are here. The Sally House. Now, a little bit of a history on the house. Um, and the, the history, it plays into how things play out as far as the hauntings nearly a damn century later are happening. But the whole first half of the Sally House's existence, it was not plagued by these things. It was very much just a house or actually in case a set of houses that were within a specifically you know, or a specific family dynasty and they were just property. So a little bit of the history. 
Uh, Michael C. Finney and his wife, Catherine Kate Finney, came to uh, Atchison in 1856. Michael Finney was a wharf master and a merchant along the Missouri River, and in 1866, Michael built two homes at 504 North 2nd Street and 508 North 2nd Street. The latter, built in 1967. 18. Huh? 1867. Oh, Jesus. Not 1967. Yes. Thank you. I scratched your ass. <laughs> 1967 was a great year, but for other Oh, people. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Michael built two homes... <laughs> Michael built two homes at 504 North 2nd Street and 508 North 2nd Street. The latter, built in 1867, is currently known as the Sally House. Michael and Kate are parents of James, Agnes, Richard, Edwin, and Charles Finney. Charlie, uh, better known as C.C. Finney, and he'll come back into play a little bit later. Now, regarding the death in this house... On September 27th, 1872, M.C. Finney, 51, was the first person to die in the house. According to his published obituary, he was considered to be one of the oldest residents in Atchison at the time. Wow. Kate's father, Charles James Catherines, on July 14th, 1874, was the second person to die in the house. I don't know too much about him. Like, I tried doing a little bit of research. Um, I couldn't find too much on him. By the way, huge thanks to the Atchison Chamber of Commerce for uh, some of the details here. Uh, Agnes's husband, William A. True, died in the house on May 4th, 1918, in the aftermath of a stroke. Kate died on June 14th, 1918, at her family's home next door at 510 North 2nd Street from complications of gangrene and cyclitis. Yeah, not that a fun way to go. Very unpleasant. <laughs> great, great time. Agnes died at midnight, November 28th, 1939. That time I got the 19 right. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> and she died in the house after a three-year illness. Now, Agnes in particular is of interest to me because I think um, we'll, discuss this, we'll discuss this a little bit further in the series, but I think she has a little bit more to do with our story. Mm-hmm. I, that's just my opinion. We'll uncover it all as we keep going. Now, the, uh, after that, there was one woman named, uh, Joanne Barnes. Now this, this story, while she's not necessarily related to the Finneys or the Trues, this one kind of fascinates me because it kind of, um, it leans into, um, a little bit of like the uh, inherent tragedy or inherent pain of the place, mm-hmm. right? So Joanne Barnes, um, she was the occupant of the home acquired from the Finneys at five hundred eight North Second or five hundred four North Second Street. Barnes was deemed insane and re- relocated to Kansas City, Missouri, where her young son died as the result of a murder suicide attempt. Barnes herself survived, and I can't imagine. Yeah. how awful that would have been. But already we're starting to see a pattern develop of a lot of death and a lot of pain and a lot of suffering mm. around these areas. Yeah, absolutely. Three-year mm. illness, gangrene, mm. uh, this woman. Absolutely. Yeah, I and I can't even imagine um, how many souls were lost mm. in the area over the course of the Civil War. Yeah. I mean, again, while not many battles were fought in or near Atchison, uh, the probability of... Many a soldier wounded coming to die in Atchison is a high probability. Now, we mentioned C.C. Finney earlier. This is an interesting side note in relation to him. C.C. Finney was, in fact, a physician and lived at the house, which gives a little notion of credence to the legend that goes behind Sally. However, we can find no documentation regarding that for that matter, we can't really find any documentation that Finney actually ran his practice out of his home. Mm-hmm. This is something I would definitely like to to dive into. And right there, like there wouldn't, it didn't seem to be a dedicated area that that would have happened. Unless I mean, oh, I mean, this place was built in like the the late eighteen sixties. Mm-hmm. I am sure that tons of 
remodeling and renovations mm. have gone. So who knows what right. it looked like in its original state? Actually, that would be interesting if we yeah, could exactly, yeah. find the original blueprints. I remember asking if you were able to have a oh yeah, good access to the blueprints. Yeah, we're going to work on that. Yeah. Uh, because no matter how long the series is, mm. Sally House is not done with me. And I am not done with it. And we're going to explain why a little bit later. Um, thing just won't leave me alone, man. <laughs> okay, so after the Finneys, uh, around 1958, the house was occupied by one Ethel Anderson. And uh, not too much is known about her or her family, but there was not much report of any type of paranormal activity with the expect uh, with the exception of one unexplained fire that happened in the nursery and that actually is a really interesting story and um i will i will have links in the show notes so that you can actually hear these stories from the woman themselves so we're, we're going to go into the sightings bit here in just a minute and that's going to be a lot so there you have it i mean you got you got three houses all in a row all owned by the Finneys, or at least 508 and 504 were. 510 was um, certainly owned by a member of extended family because of um, marriage. But, yeah, three in a row, man. Was Ethel Anderson, and and forgive me, Flood, and to uh, our lovely listeners, I wasn't acquainted with this story originally. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. And so the... Yeah, he know, went the in blind, folks. Yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, one of those, uh, I think a good thing for, for experimentation of, you know, for you in particular, having a good grasp of the history, me, you know, going in with just what went through on, uh, on the Astonishing Legends podcast. I haven't listened to the entirety of that series. It was very informative, but outside of that, I had never, I had literally never heard of the Sally House before you put out the invitation that you were going there. So... <laughs> Which is, again, interesting because this is regarded as one of, you know, the most haunted places in uh, America. And it's definitely uh, been a great deal of interest to me over the course of my life, different uh, paranormal happenings and all that. So that was interesting in and of itself. But I bring that up because uh, was Ethel Anderson, was that the woman that um, she had the uh, imaginary friend that she described? It was not Ethel, but okay. uh, I believe it was one of her... Children or grandchildren. Okay. Uh, because that was that was a story is that sometime, I want to say in the mid-80s, there was a young girl that lived there, and she had an imaginary mm-hmm. friend that she called Sally. Mm-hmm. And um, years later, when this woman is, is or I, I don't think she was fully grown into a woman, but when she was much older, um, saw a sketch that Tony did of Sally and Tony pointed Pinkman. Yeah, Tony Pickman, and mm-hmm. pointed to it and said, that's her. That's my friend Sally. Mm-hmm. Which is just... Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> all sorts of... But yeah, there's uh, there's actually a lot of footage regarding that, and we'll, we'll, we'll go into what sightings and all that means here in a minute, but um, I, I will have uh, links for all of this stuff for, for everybody to look up in their their own spare time. There's a lot of it. There's a lot. So anyway, after uh, Ethel Anderson was there, um, you know, again, no, no big events happen short of like the one fire in the nursery. Um, and then we hit 1993. That's when we meet the Pickmans. Tony and Deborah Pickman moved into the house located at 508 North 2nd Street in 1993. Over the course of two years, activity in the house slowly ramped up. It started small. The dog barking at something that wasn't there, strange sounds and smells, temperature fluctuations. But at one point, Tony witnessed an apparition of a little girl in his kitchen. And the way that he described it is he walked into the kitchen one day, grabbed a glass out of the cabinet, poured himself a glass of orange juice, puts the orange juice back into the fridge, picks up his glass, and as he turns around, he sees this little girl around six or seven years old, Blonde, blue eyes, curly hair, just standing there in the kitchen. And I think he described her as like almost translucent. You know, he could see a little bit behind her. Um, and it scared the living hell out of him. And he dropped his glass mm-hmm. of orange juice. It shattered on the floor. 
but what I found so interesting was that the the look on the apparition's face was the same of mm-hmm. like yeah, shock and yeah. awe and like you can see me what the hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just as surprised right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so that um that kind of kicked off their activity like from there it just keep it kept ramping up and um and it started to get a little bit more aggressive uh specifically at tony like it really honed in on him and tortured him for lack of a better term Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and they definitely go into that on the Astonishing Legends series. Yeah, again, Every, actually, like, like everything to, that happened to. Him. Yeah, to to that point, I will say, like, if you want to, if you want to hear it from the horse's mouth, they have an hour long interview with mm-hmm. the Pikmins describing yeah. everything that they saw. Mm-hmm. And what was amazing is, um, a lot of the things that they described in that interview I had never heard before, even though I was already familiar with the story and uh, the sightings thing. And okay, so sightings. Let's let's actually get to that point. After two years of of being in this house, um, or actually, I want to say it was probably nine months or a year in, they started reaching out to other people for help because whatever was going on in the house was just a, a little too much for them to handle. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I don't blame them. So they started reaching out in various channels, and that is how sightings came into play. Now, for those of you who don't know, and uh, for those of you who are not as old and as crusty as I am, um, sightings was one of the very first uh, television shows in America to take paranormal phenomenon a little more seriously. Uh, Even though their goal was essentially to debunk everything, uh, they found a lot of things that were not bunkable and Sally House is one of them, or debunkable, whatever. I don't know. You and your debunkers, I don't understand your lingo. Kids these days. <laughs> yeah, when the sightings crew came in, they they started to document all these things, like the uh, scratches that Tony would get. Uh, he would get spontaneously lit on fire. I can't imagine that was fun. You know, just yeah. Sitting on the couch watching... Whatever was on TV in the mid '90s, there, right? And then you just you look at your sleeve is on fire, like that's that sounds like a great time. Yeah, you know, no and, place I'd rather be. Mm-hmm. Is it hot in here? Is it just? Oh no, my arms on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh man, I'm just I'm really glad it didn't hit that point with us. To be honest, I can take a lot of things, but don't light me on fire, please. No, well, that probably would not have been pleasant. They started getting the apparitions, um, and also, oh wait, that's right, uh, by this point, their their first child was born. Um, I think just like an infant, yeah. Yeah, yes. Newborn baby in the house as well, and there's all sorts of stuff that ties into this, like, um, oh god. And it, 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 so many psychics came to that house, <laughs> and so many um, spiritual leaders, it's... Uh, and I got to tell you that that alone, like the fact that mm-hmm. they had so many people rotating in mm-hmm. and out of those doors during the uh, time, different the faiths and spiritualities all interacting different with energies. the energies of the house. Yeah. It was almost like they were charging a battery. Mm. Huh? Like one of those like crank flashlights or like the things that you like pump and it like sparks and uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I went off in the left field there for a second. Yeah, the the Pikmin saw a lot of crazy stuff and experienced a, a lot of terrifying things um, while they were there. And and again, if you want the details, definitely go listen to those episodes from Scott and Forrest so you can hear from their mouths. But some of the freakiest ones that stand out to me were the uh, the time that um, Tony was upstairs in the master bedroom and he was sitting at the end of the bed and he looks out towards the window and as soon as he does all of the dust particles in the room like slowly start to swirl and converge in on each other and it uh it slowly builds into a shape and it turns into this yeah middle-aged woman in an 1800s black dress with a look of absolute ferocity and anger on her face and as she is materializing all of the furniture in the room 
starts to go nuts. Mm-hmm. Like beds, dressers, I, th- doors I think you open, said the bed like slamming. lifted up. Yeah. Like yeah. Levitated. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Like, like a foot off the ground yeah. and slam back mm-hmm. down. And uh, this apparition, this woman took a really, really fast, mean stride right in his direction, reaches out to him and grabs him by the arm and says, I'm gonna. And as soon as she says that phrase, this black bird appears out of nowhere and lands on her shoulder and then poof, gone. And then all the furniture stops. And um, during this whole time, Tony was like screaming mm-hmm. to the top of his lungs. like. Debra, reasonable, Debra. right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's reasonable. Uh, I think, yeah, yeah, I would. Mm. I mean, me, I'd probably be going like, okay. <laughs> Grab me Go harder. Go on. Grab me harder. No. <laughs> 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 no, no, that's non-consensual. It's kind of like what happened in Ghostbusters. It may feel good at the moment, but I didn't ask for this. Um, no, honestly, if it was me, I would just be, be like, all right, keep going. Where's my camera? Where's my <laughs> I got you. Yeah, cool. All right, pose for me. Pose, pose. Now I want you to look fierce, baby. Yeah, Arr, yeah. Show me your tiger. Arr, show me your big yes. black bird. Yes. <laughs> and that's when it ended. Like uh, the black. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Uh, Blackbird lands on her, and she just poof, dissipates. Now, when all this is over, um, mm. Tony goes barreling out of the room, of course, and like tries to track down Deborah. It's like, Deborah, did you not hear me screaming? And she was like, well, I heard you say something. Mm-hmm. So even though she was pretty much right in the next room. And this room, is a very small house. Yeah. Very small house. And sound travels weird in yes, that place, which we will absolutely. definitely like, be talking about yeah. soon. Like you could be whistling in the upstairs bedroom and someone could hear you in the living room. Or apparently. Or apparently not. Feel like you're outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's. That's true. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. that's mm-hmm. one that I want to talk about. Yeah. That was the auditory mm-hmm. shift in that house. Yeah, that was yeah. That's bananas. B A N A N A S. Speaking that's... to the Blackbird point though, this is just side note. On the way here, uh I always have my Pandora on shuffle and that leads into the uh little experiments that I was doing. But on the way here actually today, uh the song Blackbird came on uh by Marcy Playground. It's a fantastic band, by the way. Oh, thank God it wasn't Beatles. I was going to have problems with that. No, one. no, no. Blackbird by uh, Marcy Playground. No, Marcy Playground is amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, I'm a huge fan. Um, America, actually, is it, that song gets me every time. Okay, so the other big one from the Pikmin's that I wanted to point out was one of my personal favorite stories, and it's one of the ones that chills me to the bone, still stands out to me this day, is... Uh, Tony was describing how this thing was repetitively trying to uh, change its shape and and alter it and approach Tony from different directions, different standpoints, try to get different reactions out of him. I don't know. But this this one in particular that stands out to me, he was uh, laying in bed in his bedroom and the childlike apparition, quote unquote Sally, if you will, appears to him to him and tries to reach out and grab his arm to which he pulls away from apparition tries it again he pulls away from and then on the third time the childlike apparition reaches out grabs onto him and holds and the way tony described it it kind of just morphed into this almost like a, a corpse-like creature that was on all fours, hunched over, had only one eye open, the other one was completely closed or covered by, like, rotted meat, had a tongue hanging out. Um, he described worms and maggots running through it as if it was, like, a true decaying corpse. That one really sticks with me, and I'm not going to lie... The Bacon Monster is one of the reasons that I wanted to go to the Sally House in the first place. I wanted to see it. I did. Like, I I saw that artist's interpretation of it that got posted. I went nuts. I'm like, I want to see this thing. Uh, But something that's really interesting about the description of it, and I'll get into this probably here in, like, episode three, is that it bears a physical resemblance uh, to some sketches of demons from classic grimoires. And that really stood out to me. 
I never noticed it until I actually brought this up to my mage friend who kind of assisted with the ritual while we were there. And when he saw that image, he immediately fired off those two back at me. And I'm like, oh, well, that's that's unsettling. Mm -hmm. Mm. But it was, uh, you know, it was more than just that. Like during their time that they were there, they had uh, numerous instances of Tony being scratched. Uh, one in particular, which is very famous, most of you probably already know about it, is that the initials MC showed up carved into his back at one point. Now, MC, that immediately brings to mind Michael C. Finney. And uh, this also kind of plays back into some other EVPs that I have heard regarding this house. Uh, very angry male spirit basically yelling at you saying get out this is my house in so many words and in so many different ways over the Mm. years and that's the thing to to point out here folks is i'll explain this here in a bit but the the story with the sally house does not end after the pikmins it goes on forever but more of the stuff that happened to them they had uh all of the different scratches they had the fire incidents they had the uh the one occasion of the rose that burned itself from the inside out yeah. when it was sitting on a counter, which uh, was actually caught on camera. And you can see it in the sightings footage, uh, which I'll have posted in the post notes or in the show notes. And there was, um, there's a lot of psychological play there. In particular, the, the further that Tony was driven to the brink of madness, it seemed the less and less Deborah cared about it. Uh, she was perfectly content with the whole situation. She never really gave any thought to it. Never really affected her all that much. Now you get all of these um, sightings people uh, coming in. So the sightings crew, that was a television show that ran in the early 90s on one of your staple three-letter uh, stations, ABC, NBC, Fox, whatever. But they ended up covering the Sally House. And during that time of its broadcast, it was referred to as the Heartland Ghost. This thing ran for about three years, I think. They kept revisiting the Sally House because every time they went back, something else would happen. So they would just keep coming back. Hell, even after the Pikmins moved out, they kept going back, which I found to be really interesting. But one of the uh, one of the big things that happened is they had this guy Peter James come in, and Peter James is the fabled late eighties, early nineties psychic with a very very perfect gray bowl cut and the most intense black mustache you will ever <laughs> see in your life. If like, only, yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's intense. Like it's uh it's pretty close to black hole level. I have a feeling it's, that if you were to walk into the room, the light would get sucked out of it. Like like Jamie Heineman from from uh, from MythBusters. <laughs> no uh, Ghostbusters. On steroids. Yeah, like it's, it's yeah. Yes, yeah. I was rather taken aback when I uh, looked him up. Now when uh when Peter James showed up, he was the one who first actually pinned the name Sally. He was the uh uh, if I remember the story correctly, when he shows up to the house before he even walks in and he's, you know, doing the general greetings outside, he's like, so I, I know there's a little boy that lives here, but who's that little girl? And he points up to the window. He's like, I see a little girl up in that window. So they bring him in and he does his wandering through and then he stops at the bottom of the stairs and looks up and you know, there she is. She's right there. That's here. What's her name? Sally. Her name is Sally. And Boom. We now have the Sally house. That's how it happened. So there was, there were things happening there before a name was associated with it. Did we just name it? Did, did, did Peter actually put something into motion by giving it a name? Hmm. When you name something, you get attached to it. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Peter James was in town for a couple of days, and he did pick up on some pretty interesting things. Again, links for all of these clips will be down in the show notes. But, um, you know, eventually the, the activity just kept happening. So having the sightings crew didn't really alleviate any of the uh, torture that uh, Tony and Deborah were going through. Right. It, in fact, it really amplified it, if anything else. And it 
it ended up kind of coming to uh to a head when there was one particular moment where Tony was walking out of the master bedroom. Um, and when you walk out of the master bedroom, you immediately have the railing for the landing. And he was about two feet away from the, the banister of where the stairs flip and start heading down. And he was shoved aggressively into the banister enough to actually break three of the spindles, I think. Mm. And, um, that was kind of the drawing point for him or actually, no, I think that was the drawing point for Deborah because Tony had been talking for a while at that point that like, I, we got to get out of here. We got to go. We got to go. This is not good. Uh, and I got to tell you folks, if, if you want to hear something really creepy, go back and listen to their account over on astonishing legends from their mouths, because the psychological terror that Mm -hmm. they were going through is pretty crazy. And, and I can attest to that because this place does affect people psychologically. Mm -hmm. Now we were only there for two days, right? And it, it really messed me up. It messed a few of our, the rest of the team up in different ways, but uh, man, two years in this place. Mm -hmm. Does that what it take? Is that what it takes to see the bacon monster? (laughs) I mean, I'll do it. It, It's the whole, you know, (laughs) the whole, uh, you know, frog in a boiling pot thing you know you turn the the heat up gradually so it doesn't know that it's you know being cooked i don't know what you <laughs> did in your spare time my friend but keep your frogs <laughs> that's out of one my of those kitchen. proverbial tales i would never do that to a frog. I've never heard that one before that's really yeah that's out there that's like the whole thing with like the out of the pan into the into the fire that whole kind of saying phrasing never heard it with frogs this really? is a, this is a new one yeah, no, I didn't come up with that. Trust me, I would never hurt a hurt an animal. Not like that. No, Though frog know. legs are tasty. Oh. If done it's, right. It's barbaric. Man. Makes your makes your stomach leap, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was you're fired. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was the last straw. Uh him nearly getting pushed off the edge of the landing was apparently enough to make Deborah kind of snap out of whatever spell she was in, you know, feeling very connected because if you go through the story, you, you, you hear all of these narratives about how, how, uh, the spirit masquerading as Sally was expressing to Deborah in so many ways that I'm here to be a protector for your, your son. Mm. Like I'm here to you know look out, mm. But the like, if you listen to the whole story, it's pretty obvious that whatever it was was manipulating them both in different ways. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, in very different ways. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so yeah, that was that was the last straw. In uh, I want to say it was uh, mid nineteen ninety four, maybe early nineteen ninety five. I'm not right about those dates. Again, we are not historians. Time, um, is, time, time is relative. It's amorphous, you know. It's all time is a man made construct. Absolutely. <laughs> but it, uh, yeah, that was that was it. So once that was done, they finally packed up and they got out of there. Now, what's really, really interesting is that it didn't stop after they left. This place has followed them around for years. I mean, yeah. according to them, and according to their son, like uh, Tony will be hanging out in the house and and. Out of the blue, all of a sudden, the back of his shirt just lights on fire. Yeah, two years of that. There's got to be some psychic imprint from that place. Like, that's... No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the the stories of Tony after he left the house, they, they do get weirder. Uh, you have those instances that he um, wakes up from a deep sleep at three in the morning, and he's standing in front of the Sally house in bare feet in his pajamas. Has no idea how in the hell he got there. And they weren't even living in the same county, I think. No, 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 no. They stayed in Atchison for quite a while. Yeah, they moved away from the Sally House, but they stayed in Atchison. And I want to say that uh, during those times that he, like, sleepwalked back over there, they were maybe, like, a mile from it. So So within walking distance. Yeah, but but still walking through barefoot in the winter. In the winter. Yeah. While you're sleeping. That's sleepwalking. That's, that's yeah. It's intense, man. Yeah. It's like Boy Scouts, intense. Uh-huh. Ah. Uh-huh. Um, and then there was uh, ever since they've left, there have been numerous instances of them 
losing objects, mm-hmm. and then they would show up over the Sally house. Right. Like the- uh, Singed. Yeah, like the remote controls or cell phones and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Turning up melted or more, you know, warped and all sorts of stuff. Or like the, the I think um, their son mentioned that like they lost a cell phone, but they were getting messages from it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the messages and the that messages they were, were getting- weird and with characters that shouldn't have been able to be typed on that kind of a phone. And aren't able to be done yeah. now either. Mm. They were getting like pentagrams and devil yeah. horns and things like that. Yeah. And they were getting voicemails too, which if you've never heard any of them, I've mm. got to share I think with you. They, I think they played- Did they play it on there? They played one, but th- there yeah. are more out there. Okay, that's the one that- Yeah, that's the one that I heard then. So these things moved- through space and time got half melted along the way, which by the way, seems to be a recurring theme with Mm -hmm. a lot of the more like hyper haunted places. Mm -hmm. When you see things that get, uh, you know, transported from one place to the other, there tends to be some damage done to it. Right. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. either by fire or heat or just the elements. Plasma. Who knows, man. That's the important thing to do uh, to state is mm. we, we don't, don't know. know. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I brought a bunch of old cell phones and other electronic devices like that that uh, may not uh, be in use anymore, but they would still be able to hold a charge. I brought a bunch of them just to see if any of that kind of stuff might happen. Yeah, well, and we're we're going to get into that once we actually get into mm. the point that we walk into the house. Um, but leading up to that, so. All right, the Pikmins have their final breakdown where Tony is almost severely hurt, and so that's their last straw. They bail. They finally get out of there. And, uh, yes, this place does keep interacting with them and messing with them. Uh, Rumor goes around that if you have an antagonistic group in the house, then it will antagonistically attack Tony. That's an interesting one. Um, But I can... I can vouch for the fact that if you have an interaction there, there is potential that it will follow you. That is fact. We'll get into that later. I can't wait to tell them about the laundry thing. Jesus. All right. Now, post Pikmin's once the Pikmin's moved out, um, there were a handful of other tenants that came through. None of them really reported anything odd or strange, but the last tenant that was there, at least I think this was the last tenant. Please don't quote me on that. And please, history nuts out on the internet, please feel free to crucify me for this. I really don't care. Um, But one of the last tenants after the Pikmins moved out, the owner of the property, uh, his his name was Les. I don't know what his last name was, but uh, retired police officer from Atchison had owned the house for quite some time, owned it when the Pikmins were there. I'm not sure if he still owns it now. I think he might've worked out something with the city of Atchison, but regardless, the, um, at one point, uh, the neighbors from 504 second street, which is right next to the Sally house called Les, the landlord at the time and said, Hey, you need to come over here. You need to, um, check on your tenant Seems like she's kind of messing the place up. Just think you should go take a look. And so he did. And what he finds is the inside of the house is a complete and total wreck. Um, Obviously, nobody has been taking care of it. It's pretty filthy, does not smell too great. And um, the tenant was very um, defensive about less trying to get down to the basement. And eventually he was just like, just get the hell out of my way and just kind of moves her, goes down to the basement. And that is when Les finds the infamous pentagram painted on the floor. And apparently along with that, there were considerable amounts of names, possibly archaic names, written on the bricks, on the walls, all mm-hmm. around the basement. Which, so, is, which is like raw stone in some, in some portions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so whoever that tenant was, she was obviously trying to do something there. Now, as a practicing, uh, practicing magician myself, I know that not all magic is inherently bad, nor is it all inherently good. It really all depends on 
the practitioner and what their intent is. Um, what we've been able to pick up from other sources is that whatever she was trying to do down there was not good. It was bad, okay? It was real bad. Like, real bad and gonna have a bad time, okay? Um, so upon seeing this, Wes immediately kicks her out of the house. Like, grab your junk, get out. Anything that's still here in the morning is going to the dumpster. And he held true to his word, so. And I think that was the last, like, major tenant, at least on the spooky side. There might have been one or two, like, short-term tenants after... I, th- I think so. I think I recall um, on the Astonishing Legends that they mentioned that there was just a couple short-term. They're very short-lived. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah, yeah short-term. But tenants. then we kick into the modern time. And the modern time is now the Sally House has become part of Atchison history and is treated as such as a historical landmark. Um. It is managed by the city of Atchison. Um, bookings to do overnights like we did are available only through them. So it at least is being well taken care of. And I, you know, many props to all of them for finding a way to keep this alive and also grant access to so many people who mm-hmm. want to go yeah. and experience Yeah, there's a whole themselves. guest book, which was really cool to see. Yeah, the guest book was amazing. That mm-hmm. was That was a hoot. So if anybody visits there anytime soon, uh, you know, probably in the last several pages, you'll, you'll find our XP Planus uh, message there. Just look for the Polaroid that that Alejandro left and, um, hope y'all enjoy yourselves and feel free to reach out to us. I would love to share data and evidence, um, Mm -hmm. from other explorers of that house. Let's not be so, um, uptight about doing that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. All right. So. After those tenants are <laughs> a witch, a witch, burn her, burn the witch. After the witch got kicked out, and there were probably maybe one or two other tenants, um, the house has been managed by the city of Atchison and has been the grounds for university-based parapsychology studies. Um, a recent tourist interest. And let's be honest, the pandemic has propelled a lot of us to reach out for the paranormal more. Yeah. 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 You got to look in before you look out and ghost hunts, which leads it to us. Now I want to apologize again because all of what I have set up until this point has been a total glance over the brief history of Atchison and then also Sally house. Again, we're not here to be historians. We're not here to regurgitate the story that you've heard a thousand times before. We're here to tell you what happened to us when we got there, the story on how we got there, and everything that has happened afterwards. That's what this show is about. And we did the thing. And we experienced it. And I am still experiencing it. Like every Every day. <laughs> um, I I am not. I will just put that out there. I am not. You you had no carryover from the experience, mm-hmm. did you? Yeah. Um, Walker did for a few days, I think. And uh, I think Jill mentioned that she had a, a couple of odd occurrences the couple of days that went after that. But yeah, it sank its teeth into me. Yeah, so, aside from shared evidence from other paranormal investigators that have gone there, the hype for that specific location kind of fizzled out after sightings went down, although it has always been a favorite amongst your standard paranormal investigator groups. Um, but that's where it gets really interesting for me, is the story of how I ended up going there. And the fact that the house has been calling me much longer than I was aware of. And if that's not a cliffhanger, I don't know what is. So that's where we're going to pick back up. In two weeks, uh, the series will be going on a bi-weekly basis. But uh, yeah, thank you for joining for the first dose of just the rundown of the basic history, the, the points that we need to make regarding the Sally House before we start explaining the absurdity 
of how in the hell we got there and everything that happened after that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a tale to be sure. It's a fish tale, man. Like it's, it's like me holding up a bass. That's my <laughs> size, but it's real. That's what's creepy. So Alejandro, you have any final thoughts as we kind of close out this basic rundown of, um, what we went out to tackle? Um, just that it was, again, having gone there nearly, you know, blind, you know, other than listening to the Astonishing Legends, which, again, is very extensive. So saying that I went in blind is is not a accurate statement, but mm. I also didn't have the depth of uh, knowledge and experience of it that a lot of other people might have. Yeah. Um, so it was just surprising to me pulling up to the house. It's, it's a house in the middle of a neighborhood. It is unassuming. It is very unassuming. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So, um, but as everyone should know, looks can be deceiving. Mm -hmm. So very much so. All right. Well, Hey man, thanks for hanging out tonight. Um, everybody be sure to tune in in two weeks and we're going to start discussing, the rest of the story. That's right. I just pulled a Paul Harvey. <laughs> and that's that when you'll get the rest of the story. Rushed. Rushed of the story. No, that's, no, he was very American. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, uh, tune in in two weeks and you'll hear the story about how we ended up there, all of the bizarre synchronicities that happened before I even knew they were happening, when it all came together, and uh, the the odd way that this fine gentleman on the other mic with me just ended up falling into my lap for this, uh, which, um, yeah. <laughs> it's very comfortable. <laughs> Thanks. I tried to keep it soft for you. Um <laughs> But yeah, we'll be back soon to uh, start talking about the real meat and potatoes of what this whole series is, and that is our uh, meat in this house. Soy meat, yes. For you, okay. (laughs) Pork for me. Um, But yeah, uh, next in a couple of weeks, we'll start diving into the beginnings of our experience, how we got there, why it was so weird that we got there the way that we did, Mm -hmm. and the seemingly endless stream of bizarre synchronicities that started to happen. Like yeah. the yeah. moment after I mm-hmm. booked the place, everything just went nuts. Yeah. And, um, really sparked and set something in motion. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe after, uh, the next episode, somebody can explain to me how EVPs can travel through time. Well, as we said, time is a man-made construct. Man-made uh, construct! Yep. The, right. the, the spirit realm knows no such boundaries. Very true. Alejandro, thank you so much for joining me on this uh, first dive into a very, very long series. I'm sure you'll be back here oh, in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. um, as we, we dive in this, because each and every one of these episodes throughout the series, either you or Walker or the both of you are going to be here with me. Yep. So Looking forward to it. All right. Cool beans. Hey, and uh, don't Beans don't forget great. to check out uh, Alejandro's stuff when he posts it. Yeah. That's um, Stardust or uh, we're on Stardust. Instagram. It's We Are Leftover Stardust. We Are Leftover Stardust on Instagram, and then the Etsy shop is called Leftover Stardust Shop. Okay, and so we make all sorts of fascinating magical arts and crafts, and offer uh, divination interpretations. Uh, we, I, we are divination consultants. Uh, you have the flood seal of approval <laughs> <laughs> ding ding yeah we'll uh we'll definitely be sure to share all those links once your shop is live and up and running and all that thank absolutely yeah absolutely all right friends y'all take care of yourselves good health and safe travels to you all hey don't you tell me what to do <laughs> I'm sorry that's going to wrap it up for this round, folks. I want to thank Alejandro for coming into the studio today and helping me go through some of the, uh, the basic plot points of this uh, case in Atchison, Kansas. Now be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes if you want to do a deeper look into the history of Atchison and the Sally House. 
I think the purpose of this brief introduction is, well, is that it's weird. It's intense. And the activity is very, very real and very, very well documented. The rest of this series will be more focused on our journey with the Sally House, and that will continue in two weeks, where we'll return to discuss the strange beginnings of this particular paranormal road trip. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, everywhere as XVPlanus, and you can follow my personal misadventures and music projects at Folds and Floods on those same platforms. Links for both are in the show notes, and if you like what we do here, head on over to iTunes and rate and review us. Tell your friends about us. Tell your families about us. Hell, scream at a random person at the bus stop about us. XV Planus is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. For more great shows like the one you just listened to, go to www.tgmpodcastnetwork.com. That's www.tgmpodcastnetwork.com. The show is produced in Durham, North Carolina and is written, edited, and scored by yours truly. Music from the show can be found on my Bandcamp page for Folds and Floods or anywhere you stream your music. Once again, I am your host, Flood, and this has been XV Planus. Thank you for being a part of the journey so far. Keep your hearts soft, your heads strong, and your spirits weird and wonderful. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And I'll see you in the between. XV Planus is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at tgmpodcastnetwork.com.